Oh, Alex, you're beginning to talk already about getting permission versus getting permit forgiveness. And the U.S. Navy has that situation of an informal teaching that's actually done. Uh, is part of, in fact, petty officer training. That uh, you're the petty officer here. If the higher bosses are not here, you're the boss. You got to make the choices. You can't go get his permission. You've got to go do what you think is right to do and not worry about whether you're going to be forgiven or or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that is um, so. That whole idea of um, in in the Navy, normally everybody thinks of it in the hierarchy that you've got to get permission or orders come down from the top, down through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that if that informal system didn't work, then every time communications break down, so does the entire Navy. Mm. Right. So uh, this idea then is a very, very good introduction into what we then call in um, in Buddhism, you know, in the Theravada, they have these um, Westerners think of them as attainments. Like Sotapan, Sotagami, Anagami, Arahat. These are for Westerners attainments. In reality, they're merely attitudes. <clears throat> That's all they are, is just attitudes, not attainments. <clears throat> and you change your attitude anytime you want to. So there's not much to attain there if you can change your attitude. Okay. Now, part of the quality of the soda pond that's listed in the suttas is that it has, it's got actually two different views or two different worlds or two different ways of looking at it. The ordinary person's way of looking at it from the bottom up is the soda pond is the one who uh, takes refuge in the triple gem and uh, uh, keeps the precepts, follows the rules. That's the way that ordinary people look at it. That in fact there are ceremonies at Buddhist centers that do the uh, the uh, first off the, the triple gem which uh, has to do with Buddham, Saranam, Gachami, Dhamam, Saranam, Gachami, Sangam, Saranam, Gachami, then Dutyampi, and the three again, and then Tritiyampi, Buddham, Saranam, Gachami. So that's taking the refuge, but it's done in a very formalized way. And then they channel a bit more and then give the, uh, the precepts. Uh, uh, Panatapata we Ramani Sakabadam Samatiyami and then Atenadana we Ramani, etc. like that. And so a lot of people think that this formalized stuff, that if people actually live those formalities, then that would be what is a sotapan. Now, in Western Buddhism, they've gotten that completely confused by thinking that sotapan is an experience or an attainment. Or now that you've had this whoop to do uh, meditation, now you're a soda pond. That's the way that the Westerners look at it, which has nothing to do with what we were talking about before. Mm. But then there is the third way of looking at it, and that's the way that the Buddha talks about it. 
and that is freedom. And in this regard, it's freedom from the ignorance of the first three fetters. So the first three fetters are uh, liberation due to uh, knowledge. And then the others are uh, eliminated. The other fetters are eliminated through the wisdom of knowledge and the skills that we develop in order to drop those things. Okay, so the first thing that would be then would be you've probably seen this in university classes and other places like that. For instance, in chemistry, you'll have the class and then you'll have the lab. If a chemistry class is taught, there's only a class and the kids never go into the lab and start mixing peroxide with nitrogen chloride, then they don't have a clue. They've got to have a lab, right? Medical doctors have that. They call them a practicum. First they go to class and then they go to the basement and cut open a body. Okay. Psychologists have that also. First there's a psychology class and then there's a lab, which would be a, a group therapy setting and stuff like that. Engineers have labs also. That you've got to be able to test that stress formula out that you wrote on the blackboard. If you can't test it out, it's no value. You've got to go out to the practical world. So knowledge starts and then deliverance and the teachings of the Buddha are precisely that way. And so let's look at those first three fetters, the first three fetters that when they're eliminated, this is the point of Sotapan. The first fetter is personality view. That's the answer to the question of who am I? And the correct answer is you are not who you think you are, and you probably won't ever figure out who you are, but you can figure out a whole lot about what you're not. That's the first letter. The second letter is attachments to rights, rules, and rituals, or the Silabhata Paramasa, that is not well taught in the West at all. That in fact, if you're teaching a Buddhism that has precepts, that setting down rules are adding new rules and rituals and laws to it rather than learning to remove them. And so here we're actually confronting uh, when students bring up rules, I will confront them with them. To let you see that all oh, you're just following some rule rather than thinking clearly about what's happening in the moment. Now, the third fetter is the fetter of doubt. And in specifically, it's doubt about what is and what is not the path. Mm. Now, when we mean the what is and what is not the path, we're actually uh, there's a problem with the word path. Why they chose the word path sounds very, very Christian. That really the Eightfold Noble is path is not a path at all because the path means that there's a destination. Mm -hmm. Right. But the real point is, is that it's a method. An example is how do you unlock a door? You put the key in, you turn the crank, you turn the knob and you push. Put the key in, turn the crank, turn the knob, and push four steps. Right? That's all there is to it.
But the Westerners have the idea that the door is a mile or 10 or 100 miles from here. And you've got to go someplace or on the path before you can get to the door. Where, in fact, the door is this present moment. Yeah, so, I'm starting to see that. All right. So uh, the third uh, fetter, then, of the fetter of doubt about what is the path and what is not the path means that what is not the path is following the rules. What is not the path is going the distance. None of that is the path. What is the path is wake up and look at what you're doing right here, right now. And then make a change for the wholesome. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then you're free to just push open the door. But in fact, putting in the key, turning the crank, turning the knob, pushing the door is very much like all there is to the practice of the old noble method. Mm-hmm. And the door and the the fifth one then is, is that after we push, the door is open. The door being open and is like now we are unified with the room. We're in the room now. Okay. And now that we're in the room, now we can really see what needs to be done. But we can't see what needs to be done until we're already in the room. We have to be beyond the doubt. Mm. Okay, so the knowledge and vision of what is what is not the path is the major obstacle for most people. Mm. But they're not even going to be able to get to that obstacle until they get to the first one and the second one. Then, in fact, the first and the second fetters are uh, the twin combination of each individual and his relationship to the world. And we have to change both of those together. In other words, I've got to change my own attitude, but my attitude is to change it a bit with the world, including the world on the inside. And so we begin to examine every little rule that we have. Why do we do things the way that we do it? Are we doing it out of habit? Are we doing it because we're told to? Are we doing it because it's wise? This is the kind of investigation that we want to look at. So then we can divide it into what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. Doing it because it's a habit is unwholesome. Doing it because we were told to is unwholesome. Doing it because it's the right thing to do, that's wisdom. That's a wholesome thought. Not if it's the right thing. If it's the right thing to do, that's unwholesome too. <laughs> well, no, the decision would be based upon is this following some rule that you have or is this in the moment, right, the evaluation. Like, like trying to do it right. Right. Because trying to do it right is following some rule. Yeah, um, Damarado, you mentioned that there's an inside and an outside. And I was curious, you know, um, honestly, I, I think, I think I used to think that way that most of like that there was an inside and an outside, but I think, uh, since the awakening experience, maybe that I had two years ago, it prompted this discovery of like 
most of it is inside, if not all of it. I don't think I'm, I'm fully in touch with that it's all inside, but um, it's not. I can't experience the world without being here. It, it comes from here first. It's, uh-huh. it's, so it's. But you can't experience the world without sensory input either. Yeah, and that comes from inside as well. Well, it the the instrument is the inside. Right. Okay, that's like the camera. But the camera can be in a case and it's not taking any photos at all. You can have your eyes closed and you're not seeing. Okay, so uh, there is a physical reality. It does exist. But the human being tries to make sense out of that reality. And by making sense out of the reality, we slightly distort it. An example of that would be a camera cannot take a photo of itself, just can't do it without assistance from a mirror. But then even the photo that the camera takes is going to be distorted. For instance, it's going to be a mirror image rather than an actual image. Yeah, okay. Maybe you could set it up with sets of mirrors so that you can get an uh, an accurate, but that's a lot of work rather than just recognizing, well, cameras don't take photos of themselves without having some assistance. So too, humans cannot actually experience real reality as real reality without doing some processing of it. This is exactly what we've been talking about with yeah. the five aggregates, okay? Perception leads then to the Salayatana, which now is the internal representation. So the point is, is then if we are wrong about our internal representation, that we see something out here and we make this sense out of it, the further these things are apart, the more likely there's going to be dukkha. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. we are able to see what is clearly there, mm-hmm. then and we perceive what's clearly there, then uh, are very close to it. Then the likelihood of being dukkha or the severity of the dukkha is very low. Mm-hmm. This is why it's good for us to keep getting data and keep getting more data and keep more getting more data rather than trying to make up our mind about it very quickly. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, that goes the, back to the point about like walking in a room full of garbage with the lights mm-hmm. off. You're bumping into it. So, but if you see it clearly, you can see it before you bump into it. Right, because you're looking. You know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is actually then the change of perception from let's stop trying to take reality and fit it into our understanding and drop the understanding and just take more input and more input. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, so which means that now we're no longer uh, vested in doing it the way that we were supposed to, we're doing it the way that we were told. This is actually that rule system really deeply interferes with our our ability to see things the way that they really are. Wow, this is so great, yeah. It's I, I totally get the whole picture of what you're creating here. It it's what when Dan says it's it's a giant experiment. You're 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 uh, you're um, pulling in data, 
mm-hmm. and, and evidence from that data. Right. That Gathering the, the more and more you get familiar with this evidence, it increases the likelihood of, of becoming even closer contact with it. Mm-hmm. To see yeah. things the way that they really are. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you're uh, of a particular party, then it is easy to hear all the stuff that this party has to say about that party over there, and you can see how bad and evil and ugly they are. But you have to leave this party, too, and come out over here and look at the both of them and say, wait a minute, you're just alike. There's no big difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Why? Because yeah. they both are full of politicians. Yeah, and they're just both choosing one thought. Uh, mm-hmm. opposite to the other that's but if you all have the idea that this party is good and that party is yes. not good right then that's going to prevent you from actually seeing yeah. what the real real situation is going on yeah. so our rules actually prevent us from seeing things the way they really are and i have i love that you said that that is something that has been very clear for me and has gotten ever more clear for me uh since the past two years absolutely that there really is the more and more i look there really is less good and bad there just is what there Mm -hmm. is and then there's my interpretation of it or someone's interpretation of it and in fact when you see that it's it makes room for the likelihood that the one that is supposed to be bad is actually good (laughs) and the one that is good is actually bad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Depends upon the criteria that you right. set the comparison exactly and so now that right. this is something really important is to recognize that you've always had the ability to set the criteria you just were too lazy to figure out what the right criteria was you just took it from somebody else yeah it took it from someone else and, and just adopted that just i would say adopted. almost unconsciously right because it, it, it's like well as to, child, to survive yeah. Mm-hmm. To survive, the children will take on those uh, things in order to survive, to get along. And then when they grow up as an adult, they're continuing to try to survive. And that person that they feel danger uh, from is no longer there. And yet they still have that person and kind of in the back of their mind that they're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Now, here's how all of that stuff gets started. Uh, and by the way, I'll tell you about it in the sense that this is from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, and it is absolutely brilliant when you think about what he did with it, because he's reading it out of the Bible, the Christian Bible, but he has a completely different interpretation of the, um, let us call it, the story of Adam and Eve, because Christians like that story a lot. They like the talking snake. They like the uh, the woman's fault. They like um, uh, figuring out was it an apple or was it a pig leaf? All of that kind of stuff is the story, and they miss the moral of the story. You know, stories have a point sometimes, and there is a point to the teaching of the uh, Adam and Eve. But uh, breaking God's rule and getting thrown out of the garden for breaking the rule as punishment is the way that it's seen. Mm. In other words, it's still very Christian-oriented, which misses the entire point. Mm. Here's the point. What was it that Adam and Eve did 
they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. What does eating of the fruit mean is, is that we are actually having to experience or eat the results of our actions. And what is the action? We have now the action that's based upon the knowledge of good and evil. This is good. This is evil. This is good. This is evil. This is good. This is evil. The rule set. We begin to set rules of good and evil. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, we destroy the paradise that we were in because we find some of the paradise good and some of it evil. And then we take the good mm-hmm. and we look at it deeper and we find some of it is good and some is evil. And pretty soon we're gotten down to this much of paradise is good and the whole rest of it is evil. Mm-hmm. That's the way the human mind works. Okay, now, mm-hmm. once that happens and someone is thrown out of paradise and they no longer have their paradise, they got that way by following the rules. And so now they want to teach the, those rules to their kids. So our kids learn to be judgmental the same way that they have been experiencing others being judgmental to them. Mm -hmm. So this is a vicious cycle that goes from generation to generation to generation. Every child is born into paradise. Every child is nurtured. Every child has a warm, loving mommy and a nice tit full of milk, and everything is hunky-dory, and two days later, a great big turd comes out, proving everything is working fine. But that doesn't last very long. That paradise is shattered. Why? Because the rules come in. Do this, do that, do your homework, run your ABCs, learn your one, two, threes. You know, all of those rules come in. It's interesting. There's got to be a, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm just like seeing, I think I'm seeing like for myself, that's probably how confusion starts because Mm -hmm. here you are, you have this paradise and then you're presented with this whole other set of rules that you're supposed to follow. And because you depend on survival uh, from the, you depend on the people for survival that are telling you these rules, you just somehow follow suit. But it's interesting. I wonder if that's, where most of my confusion comes from. It's the confusion that I originally faced at one point to buy myself into these rules. Okay, well, guess what? You have now seen enough of it. There's no more need to dig any further rather than when (laughs) you see those doubt comes up, you can say, aha, now I can see it. I gotcha, yeah, yeah. Now I can see that stuff that comes up that, built in childhood it got built because of that changeover from paradise that every child is born with with nurturing into the hell that humans have turned it into by judgment so so whenever there's like there's experience of of satisfaction usually that is actually when the doubt will come right after that right because you're not supposed to be satisfied Yeah, or you're not doing enough, or you have to do it differently, or you have to do this. So now, getting from what what you're saying, is Mm -hmm. I can just say that that, I can just see that one too, and Mm -hmm. basically just relax from that and just continue continue being satisfied. In fact, be really, really satisfied. satisfied. Right, you can be really satisfied that you can see that doubt. Aha, I see you. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Oh, how nice it is to not be caught up by that, right? Mm -hmm. To be caught up by that, like, you 
as if it was like a river, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have to be swept up by that current. I can just be satisfied right here. Exactly. Because the doubt comes in, in the sense of, oh, I've got to get it good enough for that. Whoever it was in the past, that was so hard on me. Cause now you've learned to substitute that person that was hard on you by bringing that mode to your own mind. And so now you are hard on you. Yeah. Cause it's just an old habit. Yeah. And so this is what we have to wake up to this. This is in fact, the seal to Paramasa is all of the rules and all the ways that we've been taught about how to do things to where every moment is brand new and fresh. And you can yeah. behave the way you want to. Yeah, and donuts taste amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> every every second, every second of having a donut of any food. Uh, I gotta tell uh, you, like ever since I've had food since I started this practice, it's incredible. Uh, I'm just like, I feel like I take a little vacation. <laughs> it's like a vacation in my mouth. It's unbelievable. Uh-huh. I taste all of the nuances. It's incredible. Right. Uh, and and the Buddha teaches this that when you're eating, eat. But yeah. really eat. Pay really attention eat. to what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I look like I'm having a party when I eat. Seriously. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I'm just uh-huh. like learning to enjoy so much more. It sounds yeah. like what this really is when, when we're talking about noticing these rules and then giving ourselves permission to be satisfied. What that looks like to me is like coming home coming home to ourselves that this is really Mm -hmm. like this is home right here yes the sense of safety and security right the home the real home is a nurturing environment not a critical environment yeah real home is when you feel home i mean you can imagine that the young man coming home from the army maybe he's just got out of afghanistan and he comes to the uh uh, he gets off the bus and there's nobody there to meet him. He gets to the home and when he gets there, uh, his mom says, where the hell have you been for the past two years? And what's that stupid suit you're wearing? Why don't you do what you're told to do? You know, is that a homecoming? Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not a homecoming. No, a homecoming is, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Mm-hmm. Mm. But now with the Dhamma, we can... We can spread that, right? Yes. We could be like, oh, I got this suit because I thought it would make you smile. Are you smiling yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could totally like shake it up, right? You exactly. Know? Exactly. Um, that's that's what we do with we begin to play with the Dhamma because it's a toy. Dhammarado, I think I'm starting to see that when we say it's good enough, that that's really actually true. Because if there's any if there's any little bit of satisfaction here in the moment, which in the absence of that doubt or in, actually in being able to see that doubt, there is satisfaction right there and being able mm-hmm. to see it because you see you're reconnecting, you're reconnected with being whole again, with being home again. So to say it's good enough is actually true. It is good mm-hmm. enough because anything other than that is worse is worse off than you are in this moment being letting it be good enough being satisfied yeah uh-huh. that's why it's good enough it really it, is good enough. it was already good enough it was already good enough 
Yeah. It was and what made good. it ungood enough was my thoughts. It's not good enough. And that's the only thing yeah. that's there that's not good enough for the thoughts. Yes. It's not good enough. Yes. The paradise, the remains, the par- the paradise yeah. remains the same paradise. Yeah. Wow. It feels like a weight. That, that can I be know it like, does. Like, it... <laughs> there's, there's not really much to. It's not really much to cling to when you see that because it's like, oh, well, this is good enough. I don't want to go anywhere near that stuff because it just I just don't need it. It doesn't do anything for me. Right. Once you learn to open that door, you can see that now all we have to do is keep practicing. Turn it, put that key in, turn the handle, turn the knob, push the door open. Takes only about a second in the mind to do that. But we have to remember to do it. Have to remember to get that key. Now, I've been noticing that either one or two things are happening. Either unwholesome thoughts are happening less frequently, or I just don't care about them as much. (laughs) But I find that I'm still able to generally feel pretty relaxed. That's the whole point is don't care about them. If they're not dukkha. But if they are, change it. Mm, I see what you're saying. So they're dukkha when there's dissatisfaction present. Mm -hmm. But there can still be unwholesome thoughts, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's dukkha. (laughs) Um, Got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. That makes so much sense. (laughs) That's exactly what has been happening. A lot of these unwholesome thoughts, they've lost their charge of dukkha. So it's it's more just like, oh, okay, all right. I'm just going to relax. It's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in that regard, there's no longer a, an unwholesome thought. You've just changed it from an unwholesome thought mm-hmm. to a wholesome thought. But now you're beginning to also to see how easy that actually is to do. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and you and can actually could... change the narrative, too. Mm-hmm. Once you take over that, the mind, you see, most people, they just let the thoughts roll, thinking that these are my thoughts, without mm-hmm. investigating them, are actually taking control and taking charge. And so any thought that comes by is a good enough thought, because it's my thought, and this is how I think. How many times have you heard that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really... It's a good point. It's nice to know. I don't really do that as much as I did before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we have a new way of looking. And that is just to look and to see that I do have control over what I'm going to think. And that you're actually, it, it, when we do recognize we have con- uh, control over our thinking, that's already taking control. That's already a new thought. And then it kind of also gives that permission for the mind to wander and still feel safe at the same time. Yes, the mind can wander because the territory is safe. The territory is not dangerous anymore. That's what I think is, that's what's been happening. Yeah. Yeah, guess what? The territory never was dangerous. It's always been paradise. Wander around, take a look. Play a game. Enjoy. It's a toy. You have been told that it's dangerous. From the danger. Mm -hmm. 
The danger is the imaginary. Guess who did the imagining of the danger? <laughs> That's um, I remember the, the thing I was going to ask you about is do you remember a couple days ago? You might not, but I said that I was able to see that I was able to see the whole belief behind the thought and that there was a belief of the existence of an imaginary eye that was thinking whatever it was thinking and that it all like fell apart and I and I didn't even really need to investigate didn't need to look at unwholesome thoughts I could just like I didn't need to do anything mm. well a couple I a couple days I used that as my frame of reference I was able to go back to that but um it's not like that now and I know obviously doesn't matter right never mind start again but um I just was wondering if you had any thoughts about that because that was it was very valuable for me to see that and now it's like I can't really I can't see that anymore the way I used to. Well, everything is changing. You're gaining some skills. Things are looking different. Okay, so don't expect things to be the same. Things are changing constantly. Even the if there was is, more freedom in that moment. Well, why ask for more? Right, right. I know. It just, there was less Duca. There was more Duca Naroda in that moment than in this moment. And I mean, obviously, there's yeah, nothing so I that can do. Comparisons but. is not what we're doing. We're not trying to say, oh, well, I've got this attainment and this experience. Now I have to have this attainment and this experience. And later I'll have to have this attainment and that experience. Yeah, that's Western. That's, That's very that. Western mentality, and it has to do with like going to the school. When you get out of first grade, where do you go to second grade? Where do you go after second grade? You go to third grade. There's always, you know, you got to do more and you're more and you're more. Well, now you're an adult, you're out of school. And so we don't have to have that hierarchy of experience anymore. Rather, the, you can see it is merely the skills that we're developing. Mm. And as you develop the skills, the things are going to change. Okay. Okay. That's the whole point is, is that uh, the, the dangers then come is when things do change, you say, wait a minute, it's not the same as it used to be. What am I doing wrong? And there comes the doubt. Mm -hmm. Rather than, aha, I see you too something new and then just grab on to that satisfaction whatever that said this is good enough yeah <laughs> and it's interesting because I, I really am starting to see the more and more like i'm i'm steady like i'm steadfast i'm focusing on the satisfaction the other stuff eventually loses its grip even mm -hmm. if it's really gripping in one moment, if there's a lot of thoughts and feelings, if, if I'm steadfast on that little pebble of remember, joy, whatever that is, if remember, I can remember. You it's can just, remember to get that pebble of joy. That's yeah. the whole point is you have to, that's the major skill to be developed is to remember. Yeah, I mean, my remembering is on point. Mm. So now there's that much remembering going on. <laughs> Well, to remember to look, yep. to remember to look. And when you look, you can see the dissatisfaction, the doubts, yep. Yep. the rules. 
yeah. the worries, all of those are the hindrances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you look and say, ha, I don't have to do that anymore. I have a choice over how I want to be. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so in the beginning, we would give thoughts that were going to be greatly elating. In other words, they were high energy because we needed that high energy. Because yes. Those were high energy. Yeah. Okay. So now they're developing the skill of being able to change the mind without having to have so much high energy to do it. Yes, that's, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> I know. Well, it's all recorded. I mean, we've been doing this for centuries. Humans have been on this path or this method for a long time. <laughs> so glad you said that. Yes, high energy. That's what it, it's been like, high energy. And now it's more like. Well, uh, that's how you came. You came high energy. Chilling out. Yeah. And now you're beginning to gain the skills of being able to chill out and just take it easy. Yeah, yeah, chill out and take it easy. Yep. Then that's the skill, is you don't have to be high energy. You have to remember, oh, I could relax. Yep. And relax. then when you would relax, now the doubts, oh, you're supposed to have high energy. You've been doing high energy forever, <laughs> and you're not doing high energy anymore. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it, 100%. Yes. So this is a way that we can now begin to see is, is that we can see this stuff that has been driving us. These rules, these ways of doing things, this perfectionism or this. There's the other one. The opposite of that is the losers, completely loser mentality. The the winners uh, the kind of winner that you're talking about here is not really a winner's mentality, but if you don't behave yourself, you're gonna beat the tar out of you. And so the energy is, oh, I've got to do it, I gotta do it, because I don't want to have the tar beat out of me. But there's another one, the opposite of that is well, you're probably gonna beat the tar out of me anyway, so why bother? All I need to do is to try to put on the show that I'm doing it. And maybe I can get you to uh, take mercy upon me. Give me some forgiveness. I mean, Christianity is built upon this. It's built upon the cycle of screwing up and getting forgiveness. When it becomes a psychological disaster or a tragedy, we call it a try hard, which is exactly the opposite of the be perfect. Because the be perfect is you got to try hard and you got to do it. And the other one is the you, no matter how much you try, you're not going to do it. So go ahead and make a good show of trying. Because then you can get forgiveness. In other words, it doesn't matter how many people you murder all week, so long as you go to the confessional on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. You get forgiveness. All right. And so that's a tragedy. Because it keeps us in that duality of both the rules and the breaking of the rules and not living up to the rules and then getting forgiveness for breaking the rules. And then we go back and we break the rules again over and over and over again. And so many of us are in, caught in that cycle. Yeah. Um, now, the funny part of it is, is that the, the these two opposite things, the be perfect <laughs> try hard 
are actually really complementary, especially for the uh, 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 the be perfect is because a lot of his perfectionism is just trying hard because he really doesn't expect himself to be able to get it anyway. Hmm. And so you can begin to see these drives that you have that are actually based in doubt. Am I good enough yet? Am I good enough yet? Whether the answer is yes or no, there's still dukkha in it. <sighs> and so stop wanting to be good enough and you just mm. begin to enjoy that you're already good enough. You don't have to do anything to become good enough. So That's the- liberating. That's really liberating. You're already there. Just remember that you're already there. Already home. Stop criticizing. Yes. Yeah. And stop expecting criticism. Yes. So the perfectionist driver is what again? You say that again? Yeah, be perfect. He's called. Yeah. Yeah. What's that again? Well, these are the drivers that come out of transactional analysis that was started by Eric Byrne, a student of Freud. Mm. And he was the one that changed the superego, ego and id into parent, adult and child, which means now it's completely understandable when we put it into simple terms like that. Mm. And then one of uh, Eric Byrne's students, KB Taylor, was the one who took Eric Byrne's life scripts and says, oh, these scripts that we have, People determine their life. In other words, um, what um, in uh, religion we call destiny or providence. That Eric Byrne would call a life script. One of the life scripts that people will have, an an interesting one, is, is that you're not supposed to outlive your dad. That your dad's age, when he dies, you've got to die then too. You're not better than he is. And some people live by that. That's a really dangerous life script to have. Mm. Eric Byrne had that life script himself, and he had and he saw it, and he got over it, and that gave him the idea of what these life scripts are, which is our destinies. And that what drives us into these destinies are these five drivers, the be perfect or the try hard or the please me or the hurry up. I had a really, really strong hurry up when I was a kid. Partly due to the lifestyle that I had, but it originally got started because I couldn't keep up with my dad. He was a walker. He was actually a meter reader. He was a professional walker. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. Could not keep up with him when I was three and four and five years old. And so I got into a hurry trying to keep up with my dad. And I stayed in the hurry when I got on the back of the motorbike. So, so, um, what, what are they though? The drivers again, you see, you said mine is be perfect. Be perfect. Try hard. Try hard please me. Hurry up. Be perfect. Be perfect. Be strong. Try hard. Please me and hurry up. So what is be perfect? What does it mean again? Be perfect means that you can't be happy until you get it right. That somebody's watching and ruling and he's got a clipboard and he's checking off everything that you do and you better get it right. 
That's to be perfect. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, cause it's not, <laughs> it's, that doubt that shows up, that's the one with the clipboard. <laughs> that's uh-huh. what it is. Yeah. I uh-huh. see that. Yeah. Totally. So the most tragic is to try hard because we're already expecting failure and we're just trying to, uh, let us say, um, not we're waiting get for someone pain. to come and rescue us. Yes, exactly. That's or a big one. Finding somewhere else yeah. to keep us, uh, how to say it? Yeah. We're looking for somebody else to blame because it's a disaster. We can't, we can't see it as any other way but a disaster. And so we got to blame somebody else. Rather than recognizing them, well, it's probably not a disaster after all. The disaster is still between the ears, not in reality. Right. I wanted to tell you that um, something I'm noticing more frequently lately that uh, it's attached to unwholesome thoughts. So basically, I just see those unwholesome thoughts and um, gladden the mind instead Mm -hmm. and move on from it. Uh, But I was curious if we could just kind of like talk about this and look at it. And, And what that is, is I noticed that there's a a tendency um, that when I am, so today, for example, I was talking to my coworker and we start, he started asking me about my life and I was telling him kind of like spreading the Dhamma, but I was talking like, I was talking about the path, but not talking about the path, you know, for his language. So that in a way that hopefully he would understand it. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that as I was talking to him, and answering some of his questions that as much as there was like this encouragement from me to congratulate himself, congratulate yourself. That's great. You're seeing those things that there was also this kind of holding backness of like, well, well, wait, don't, don't be too kind because you, you're, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta still look better. You gotta still look further ahead than him or better than him. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that this, this, this better than, thing shows up um i mean usually yeah so okay. so imagine then that the guy that you're talking to is having those same thought feeling sequences and there the two of you are trying to better one another wouldn't it be a great gift for you to wake up recognize that stuff and let the other guy win that who's the real better one the one who lets the other guy win rather than competing with him. <laughs> For sure. Yes. I love the I love the twist that you put on that, but still that becomes a cage in and of itself because it's still about being better. And I'm and well, I, yeah, but one is one is a false competitive. You're not sure better. And the other one is based upon wisdom that you know that you're better than he is because you're willing to give in. Well, I don't know if I I don't really think being better is wholesome at all. Well, perhaps the word better is not the correct. You're you're getting that word in there. Another way of just saying it is one's noble and the other one is ordinary. It's ordinary to compete. It's noble to let the competitor win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I just cannot compete with him. In fact, what you've done is you've changed the, you've changed the game. You've changed the criteria so that you've actually won because you're behaving normally and he thinks that he's won because he's winning a competition. <laughs> yeah. So now you have a win-win situation. But if you compete back with him, then both of you are going to feel bad because you're competing. Neither one of you know whether you've won or not. I guess I meant something more along the lines that when I see these, when I see this, my betterness in comparison to someone, which by the way, is also imaginary. There's nothing that actually indicates that I'm better other than the thought I'm better. Right. Ah, well, and that there's observation there, though. The observation then, and this is the investigation that you can in fact investigate. And that you can see by your own investigation that this guy's in Duca and he's competing, competing. Yes. And that you can see that I'm not competing with him and I feel okay. And that's the better position. But I can also give him a gift now, the gift of winning his competition. Yeah. I just I just noticed that there's like ill will with it too. It just doesn't it just doesn't seem doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to yeah, see oh, these things. Can you give a gift without ill will? I can. Okay, so I give think, him a gift without the ill will. Give him the gift of letting him win. And I yeah, and I think I can. I just would like to see I would like to see that ill will and that uh that needing to be better or wanting to see myself as bitter better or project an image well, of that's being better. The competition. That's and the deep competition is there. And I don't so, want it. I don't want it there. Okay. So <laughs> this is how you deal with it is by changing the rules of the game. Okay. So that you've already won. And without the competition. And not only that, but the way that we're talking about it, you allow the guy who is competing with you to win. So everybody's in a win-win situation. No competition necessary. I appreciate what you're saying there. I just, that doesn't really resonate. Okay. Well, it will when you begin to look at it and see it. Go try it out. Um, an example of that is go play a game of checkers with a child, teaching the child to play the game of checkers and letting the child win. Because if a child is going to play checkers over and over again and lose and lose and lose and lose, they'll get into disinterested in the game. They won't play anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, All so right, that means then if you're competing with someone and you keep winning that competition over and over again, then they won't don't want to be your friend anymore. Mm. And so think of it like like that. If you're going to teach a child to play checkers. Or play a game of cards by letting them win from time to time, then you can do that with your workmates too. You can let them win. Mm. Okay. Play the game, but play it so away so that he can win, and then you feel really good, secret inside because you let him win, and he feels really great on the outside because he thinks he won. Especially you give him a great big congratulations, which, you you know, you're right on that. Absolutely. The way that I do it sometimes is by telling the students, you're a step ahead of me. You're just saying what I was about to take 10 minutes to describe. You said it in three minutes or one minute. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay so uh, congratulate your friends rather than competing with them. That will help remove that competitive spirit. And guess what? The competitive spirit is built in doubt. The competitive spirit is built in fear. If you're not afraid, then why should you bother to compete to prove that you can win? You've already. Well, then you don't compete anymore because you're going to win every time. And it gets boring to compete with people. You just let them win. We're compensated in contests as as salespeople at our work to win. So, ah, well, if you stop competing with other people in the sales and just enjoy your job, you'll do okay. You won't get I've, fired. That's what I've been doing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm still like top two salesperson in the organization right now. Yeah. So, okay. and it doesn't yeah. matter because you're having fun. Doesn't matter because I'm having fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can use that as an example then of what we're talking about. So when you're in competition then uh, at the water cooler with somebody over some sport team or whatever like that. Then you can say, you know, you're right about that. That team that you're talking about really is the best. I'm glad you like it. Thank you for telling me all about it. And then I could snicker away like I don't give a flying rip about sport teams. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. <laughs> I don't care about sports. And everyone in my work is like, oh my God, sports. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. care about it. Um, so let them win that one. And then you can start letting them win the things that you do care about. Yeah. So, Damrado, I just want to recap. Um, the I think the most important part of our call for me tonight was talking about the rules, rights, and rituals, and that when those doubts and the show up of like, you need to do more, or this isn't enough, or you should be doing something else, or whatever that is, that that is essentially old patterns, old behaviors, that high energy stuff that I learned to survive. And when mm -hmm. that stuff is going on, it's it's a delight to see that it's wonderful to see that because now i can see that i don't have to be swept up by that current and it's much easier and safer and good enough to just be satisfied right here in this okay. present moment with yeah. with the, with the joy and the satisfaction that's present of seeing that of taking a breath of right. just of just feeling silence whatever it is mm -hmm. That is, that's my, it's like my home base. Yes. Uh -huh. And so that from that home base, when doubts come up, say, oh, I see you too. I'm all right. Yeah. Because yeah. there is no end to the things that you can think of that could go wrong. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Okay. So. We can change that frame of reference to where we don't care if things are going wrong. I'm still okay. Still okay. Then we recognize, well, things didn't really go wrong, that that was just my own idea. Mm. Yeah. All right, well, let's finish the call now. I think that this is really good. You're coming through. Everything is going fine.
It's been really nice, Tomorado. I'm I'm really, really grateful. I'm really thankful that we have gotten to talk and that um you you give so much of your attention so freely and gracefully. I really, really appreciate it. It's it's really helping. Well, uh socially I have to thank thank you and all of that kind of stuff. But really I've been there, done that. I've heard that so many times already. It doesn't mean much of anything. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't. I just I really mean it though. Like I'm learning a lot. I know. And- and I'm helping Absolutely. myself. And, and it really makes it makes important for you to feel that gratitude. And so I receive that gratitude well. Good. I know how to receive that gratitude. I've been doing it. <laughs> so much I, so that I was talking about it with my coworker today, which I never thought I was going to do. This kid is like 21 years old. If he comes and talks to you, that that's just amazing. You know, 21 years, that's inspiring. Somebody who's 21 years old, willing to, you know, undo all the conditioning of his mind. Amazing. Oh, so. I've got students even younger than that. Oh, good. Good. I've got kids in high school. Oh, man, that's awesome, man. Because, I mean, it's so, it's it's kind of heartbreaking. I mean, he was just telling me about how he's always got to be better. He's always got to be better. He's always got to do this project and this project and work this way and this way. And if he doesn't, he's failing. And, and mm-hmm. I just was like, You've been wow. there, done that. You can been, see it. Yeah, I have. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, man, that, that's congratulate yourself for seeing that. That's the first thing I said. Congratulate mm-hmm. yourself for seeing that. Because, yeah. All right. So now you've got a Dama student. Congratulations. You'll learn a lot <laughs> from him. <laughs> yeah, I am learning a lot. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you later then. Okay. Thanks, Tom Morado. Appreciate you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.